Welcome to Let's Talk About Books, baby, where we talk with your favorite LGBTQ authors. This is Anita Kelly, and my guest today is Nathan Burgoyne. Hey, Nathan. Hello. Thank you for having me. Hey, thanks for being here. I really appreciate it. How are things up in Canada? Uh, well, you know, still locked down, um, but yeah, we're, we're, yeah. we're getting there. I got my first shot, so that's awesome. Oh, that's awesome. Good for you. Great. Yeah, yeah. I've had uh, had both shots, so I'm, not, I'm oh, still nice. still not ready to get back in action, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so. Well, welcome to the podcast, Nathan. Um, let's uh, jump right in and, and talk about some books here. Awesome. Uh, so, so your first novel... Uh, was light is that correct that's right yeah i um i came to novel writing a bit later than most i, I started with a lot of short stories first but yes light was the first actual novel which was the thing people cared about <laughs> oh really so so you had i didn't realize you had short stories um like were they published before yeah oh wow. um i i love short fiction it's my first love um and uh, i think i had about two dozen short stories published first um, wow. and then my editor for light, which was Greg Heron, um, started sending me these little messages that was like, so when are you going to write me a novel? When are you going to write me a novel? And I kept saying, I write short stories. And then eventually his reply was, um, something along the lines of, you realize that won't, that won't work forever. Right. And I was like, fine. So, <laughs> so I started writing a novel. <laughs> wow. So was light then originally supposed to be a short story? No, but it wasn't actually supposed to be my first novel either. I um I had written or I had started writing a um a murder mystery kind of like a, a backwards murder mystery, someone trying to prevent a murder on a uh, on a train, and I made the mistake I make a lot um, where I thought I had enough story and realized about three quarters of the way through that what I had written was a short novella. Um, and at the same time, there'd been a call for short stories um, with queer superheroes or supervillains. And I had tried about four times to write a story for that, and they kept being too long. And then I realized that those two long short stories could actually turn into one novel. Um, and so that's that's where I ended up writing Light from. Oh, great. All right. So can you um, can you tell us a little bit about Light? Sure. It's uh, wow, it feels like so long ago now. Um, so Light was my sort of homage love letter to um, the comic books I read when I was a kid that I loved the most, which were the X-Men. Um, so the X-Men were my favorite because they were the people who were born different to quote unquote normal families. So, you know, it was really easy as a queer kid to be like, ah, oh, I like these guys. Yeah. Um, and they they had powers, but they also had like they had like traumas and they were not like the world's most together group of people. They, they argued, they thought they felt more real than some of like the, the Superman kind of characters where they were, they just seemed so perfect. Um, and so uh, I wrote a story about a guy, um, Kieran Quinn. He's telepathic and he's telekinetic, but he's not very good at either. Um, he hasn't practiced very much. And when he does practice, he tends to practice with his cat. Um, and <laughs> when he uses his telekinesis, it has the side effect of refracting light. So when he uses telekinesis, he makes rainbows. Um, and, uh, basically what happens is he takes a week off to enjoy pride week, um, in Ottawa and, uh, someone comes along this this sort of evangelical hate group comes along and he realizes that, um, one of the people in, in that hate group is actually better telepath and a better telekinetic than he is um and so he tries to basically save pride week um and he he's bumbles and stumbles his way into being kind of sort of a hero oh what a great story 
It was fun. I had a lot of fun writing it. Oh, I'll bet. That's really awesome. So um, that book, right, was a finalist for the Lambda Literary Awards, right? It was. That was that was an amazing experience. Yeah, I got to, actually um, I managed to actually book time off work as well. And I actually got to go to the event. I had to do like the the um, super slingshot version where you fly down like the day of the awards and then fly back like the next morning. But, oh, boy. Uh, That's tiring. Yeah. But it was it was a lot of fun, and it was it was an amazing experience, and uh, yeah, it, it was great. Yeah, like that's that's pretty freaking awesome, right out of the box, right? Your your first novel is up yeah, for a Yeah, it was also terrifying. Um, yeah, because I, I have to admit there was this weird moment when I was sitting there, and I thought, oh my god, if I win, then what? Uh, I mean, that didn't turn out to matter because I didn't win. But I have I was a bookseller for about 20 years. And so I've seen time and time again, the people who come out and have like an award winning novel with their first book, and then they just vanish. Um, You know, even if they write another book, often, it just gets compared ruthlessly to the first one and not being as good, or it's no whatever the first book was, and they just sort of vanish. So I I was actually probably happier to lose than I should have been. Um, (laughs) It was was this weird moment of realizing, oh, God, I I don't want to win right now. I really don't want to win. People just thought you were a really, really good sport. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, that's great, though. Like, And and I can totally understand, uh, you know, your trepidation at, at actually winning be you know i was thinking the same thing like the expectations of bar is really high now and um yep. how, how do you continue to meet that yeah yeah that's great though so um you actually flew down and went to the lammies and and that's held in in new york right yes yeah. okay cool and how was that for you um that's like uh, the gold or yeah the oscars i guess right yeah i mean it, it was so neat I, and i was really lucky like um one of my sort of writing heroes, um, Rob Burns, um, was there. And I mean, I'd met him a couple of times already um, at uh, Saints and Sinners in New Orleans, but uh, he actually was the one who was, he offered to put me up. Um, so like, I, I got to stay with like one of my literary heroes and I, I got to, yeah. And um, Bold Strokes that year, my, my publisher, um, there were quite a few finalists from Bold Strokes across a bunch of categories. So we had like a little row in the audience cool. uh, we're all sitting together and like a couple of them won and it was just it was just this amazing it never felt like everything was on the line for a person it was more like we were all there as this little group like excited just to see our names on the screen and then whoever won we cheered like mad and yeah it was it was really cool oh that sounds like great fun it was wonderful so um just uh moving on i i you have um this book called the village fool yeah, village and, four. Okay, and and a little village blend. That's coming out later this year. Yep. Oh, that's not out yet. Nope, nope. <laughs> okay, when does that come out? Um. Oh God, I want to say June. I think June is right. Oh, that's like next month. Yep. Yep. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> All right. So, um, is this a series? Yes. So actually going all the way back to short stories, my very first public short story um, was a story called Heart in um, uh, Fool for Love, New Gay Fiction, edited by uh, Becky Cochran and Timothy J. Lambert. Um, anyway, uh, so I I grew up um, loving um, sort of speculative fiction, but contemporary speculative fiction, what I guess we call, most likely you call it like um, paranormal or urban fantasy now, but uh, mm-hmm. 
Um, there's an author in Canada, um, Charles DeLint, who writes these wonderful um, sort of contemporary fantasy books, uh, often set in a place called Newford. Um, and I loved those books so much, and they 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 totally influenced how I, I wrote stories. So my first short story, um, it was about a, a man. He, you know, it's a little romantic short story. It's bittersweet. He uh, he falls for a guy, um, and he has this ability to sort of heal and and like use a little bit of magic um, to to heal people. Um, and he finds out that his boyfriend has a, a heart condition, a congenital heart condition, and he's not going to make it. And anyway, it's a bittersweet story, so it doesn't have the super happiest ending. Um, but my idea was to always stick around in this same sort of fictionalized version of Ottawa, where it was this world, but just a, a smidge magic or just a smidge different. And of course, super queer. Um, so that story sort of set the tone. And over time, I think by the time I did my first short story collection um, of Echoes Born, there were about five or six short stories set in that shared world that if you paid attention, you would realize that, you know, character A just walked through the scene of in story B kind of thing. Um, and then the same started to happen with novellas. Um, I wrote a um, holiday novella called um, uh, Handmade Holidays, which was my first sort of um, novella, like holiday romance novella. Um, and it's 100% set in the village. And it's a group of friends who, chosen family friends, making their way through 15 years worth of Christmases. You check in each chapter is a new Christmas. Um, and you watch their lives move on, and it's this friends-to-lovers um, romance. Um, and then I, I just sort of spun out from there. So the coffee shop that gets mentioned there gets its own short story somewhere else and so on. Uh, so The Village is huge now. Um, I think it has five or six novellas, and I don't know, I've lost track of how many short stories. Um, and they interconnect, but you don't have to read them in any particular order. I'm, I'm very careful about that so that they you can pick it up anywhere. And if you've read the other ones, it'll be like little Easter eggs for you to find. But if you haven't, you might notice a character and be like, okay, they're interesting. And sure enough, they have their own novella somewhere else as well. Wow, that's great. Like, So you have this created this whole little, I'm thinking of like a Department 56 village, right? Yes. Um, yeah. yeah. That is awesome. Great. And and when did Village Fool come out? Village Fool was just my last release. This uh, they released it in March because it was it's set during April Fool's Day. Um, so we we did it at the beginning of March that it would be ready for April Fool's. Um, yeah, it's about a guy. Uh, I, I wanted, I was joking with some other authors and it almost became kind of a dare. Um, they were talking about how like I'll, so often the holiday romance stories are, are Christmas, 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 right? Um, or Valentine's Day. Um, and I said, you know, you know what doesn't get any love is April Fool's Day. Um, and someone threw the gauntlet down. And I, I think it might have actually been Kaylee Malcolm who suggested it to me. But um, I ended up writing a story about a guy who's one of his friends in the morning um, he doesn't realize that it's April Fool's Day, takes his phone and changes all the names on his contacts um, <laughs> as a joke uh -huh. um, or, or a bunch of the names on his contacts as a joke. And then he ends up spending the rest of April Fool's morning um, texting sort of smooth and sexy thoughts about the guy he's got a crush on to the guy he's got a crush on. <laughs> so that's the sort of setup of Village Fools. He has no idea. He's basically admitting how he feels um, all morning long. Oh, that's a great story. <laughs> that's great so that just came out um in march, march of 2021 yes wow that's great and then your um follow-up is coming out next month 
Yes, and that one goes back to the magic. So I mentioned earlier how um, a lot of the short stories had that little touch of magic to them. Mm-hmm. Um, this next one, A Little Village Blend, um, in my collection of Echoes Born, there's a novella called um, uh, A Little Village Magic. Um, and that one is about a guy who absolutely 100% doesn't believe in really anything um, and finds out that it really doesn't matter because the magic has decided to believe in him. Um, and then this story is about a guy who, um, he owns a little tea shop, um, and his sister has the most annoying quality that a, a, a sister could possibly have. Um, she's always right. Um, and, and I mean that literally when she reads tea leaves, she's 100% correct. Um, so he's, he's kind of got this crush. And so of course she snatches the crushes teacup after he's done and he's like nope that's not him and he's like well crap (laughs) (laughs) and that's the story is is him figuring out and he has his little gift with tea is that he can um so if he brews some tea for you he can like add willpower to earl gray or patience to to lemongrass or whatever and and sort of help people with their day-to-day just by by holding their cup of tea a little bit before he hands it to them wow what a great idea (laughs) How, how did you come up with that um that's just where my head goes i i mean i've worked retail or i worked retail for about 20 years and i don't know i i've always enjoyed sort of the the everyday people with a tiny little ability of some kind and and you know what would that do how would you how would that look how would you change the world if you could do this tiny tiny thing um and i think it just in my head it always just lines up so perfectly with queerness to throw that little dash of magic in there because it's so easy as a queer person to see someone who doesn't quite fit on any level and be like, yeah, okay, I get it. Um, and, and for me that that's always why I've been drawn to that slightly speculative fiction sort of tinge through, uh, for romance. Okay. So, um, is writing your full-time gig now? It is now. Yeah. It's terrifying, but it's true. Yeah. <laughs> Luckily we don't have to live on my earnings, but, um, I, I'm married and my husband is, uh, uh, fully employed in the tech industry. Um, but yeah, no, I was a bookseller for about, um, just shy of 20 years. Um, and, and I loved the job. Um, but eventually I had been, um, transferred to a store on one end of the city. I, I can't drive. Um, and, uh, getting the bus to work, it was two buses with a transfer in the morning and, and to come home. Um, so some days it was taking me an hour and 20 minutes to come home from work. Yeah. Um, and I just, it got to, it just got to be a bit too much. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so we realized that we, we were in the position where we could afford for me not to work. Um, and so I got, I get to write more now. Nice. That's awesome. And how, how long have you been writing full time? Oh God. Uh, I want to say it's five years now, maybe. Wow. That's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good for you. Thank you. So, um, on, on average, like how long, how long does it take for you to write a novel or, um, even a novella? So my novels generally take me a year. Um, when I'm not working, when I was working, it was like three to five years. Um, okay. But um, like a 70,000, 80,000 word novel, it took me about a year, or at least it used to. Um, I blew the tendons in my left arm um, just at the start of the pandemic, or rather, I shouldn't say I did it. Um, We rescued a husky, um, and there was a poorly positioned piece of ice, a squirrel that got noticed, and a leech, (laughs) and the end result was a a bunch of ripping feeling all the way up and down my arm. 
Um, so right now I can't really type for very long at a stretch. I'm getting better. I'm getting much, much better. Um, that actually became part of the plot of Village Fool. I, um, I ended up making his crush his physiotherapist and um, gave uh, the poor hero through a car crash and ruined his arm. <laughs> oh, no. was, well, I know what this feels like. They say you're right, what you know. Um, so <laughs> he, uh, yeah. So I'm I'm not up to novel writing at the moment. Um, if I really if I'm really careful, um, I've, I've managed to complete three novellas over the past um, year and a bit. So I'm, I'm getting there. Um, but I, I don't think I, I'm not ready to dive back into a novel at the moment because I know it's going to take me so much longer. Um, and I, I don't know if this is common, but I really need that rush of a release to, <laughs> to feel like I'm getting somewhere. Yeah. It's probably the short story writer in me. Um, and since I, all of my writing is going to one project at a time right now, um, that, that slows me down. So I, I, I used to do the thing where I would write a short story or work on a short story every Wednesday. And then Mondays, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays are for, were for the novel that I happened to be working on at the time. But I, I can't do that right now. It has to just be one project to make the deadline. So yeah, I, I don't know that a novel's on the horizon anytime soon, but fingers crossed it'll, I'll get better. Wow. Be how, how is that to like switch back and forth between like writing one piece and then writing another? Um, honestly, it's my best process. Um, I think I, I, one of the things I, I really struggle with um, is, is seeing any sort of writing advice, because as far as I can tell, it, it all needs a giant asterisk that says if it works for you. Um, but uh, for me, um, especially when I'm working on a big project like a novel, um, taking that Wednesday to do something else or anything else, um, it's like a palate cleanser. Okay. Uh and it also means that um, I, 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 like a lot of authors, I struggle with plot bunnies where whenever I'm working on project A, suddenly all I care about is project B, C, or D. Mm -hmm. um, and so it lets me just quickly scribble things down on, on one day a week and, and like run with it and maybe do a little bit of writing to see if it's got a good proof of concept or not. Um, and then I sort of get that out of my system and back to the grind on Thursday. Um, and it's, it's, it's honestly been my best process. Um, it also helps because I, I have um, uh, I have a migraine issue. Um, so sometimes when the migraines pop in, um, I'll use Saturdays and Sundays to make up for the days that uh, I've missed. Um, and Wednesday, I can also do that as well. So I, I only really schedule myself for four days of writing for whatever deadline project I'm working on because I know full well something's going to happen that'll that'll trip me up and that way I can still make my deadlines because I haven't scheduled absolutely every day at my best writing pace um I, I, I hate being late so <laughs> yeah okay it, what happens if you're late like does your um publisher flog you or <laughs> <laughs> you know no and it's funny I just mentioned how writing advice I you know I don't really like generalized writing advice but one thing I would say is um Publishers don't want you to fail either. Um, so like letting your publisher know as soon as possible if something has slipped off the rails is always the way to go. Um, only once have I asked for an extension. Um, that was for exit plans for Teenage Freaks. I was foolish that year. I released a novella in February, a short story collection in June, and then had the YA releasing in December. Wow. Uh, that all happened in one year, um, which meant the year before that, 
I was at one point doing copy edits, line edits, and still writing all at the same time. Because yeah. um, it all just lined up that way. And that was a disaster. Um, and <laughs> I, I have never had multiple deadlines since. I, I learned my lesson the hard way. And from now on, like I have one project that has a due date. Anything else I'm working on is stuff I'm working on for myself. And if I get it finished, then I'll pitch it because um, it'll be a completed draft. But I don't, uh, I don't work under multiple deadlines anymore, no. <laughs> yeah, wow. That, that- that would be stressful. <laughs> yeah. But they were amazing. Like I, I, I worked myself up into a total tizzy and was like, I'm so sorry. I need like three more weeks. And my, my content, like my, the, the, um, the publisher got back to me like within 10 minutes and they're like, okay. Like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> it was that easy. <laughs> wow. That's and great. then I added it in in a week anyway. Like I, I didn't need the three weeks after all. I, I needed another week. It turned out that it was fine. But it was one of those pressure things where like I wasn't going to get done on time and I was terrified. So they, and when I asked for three weeks, I think they gave me two months and then I handed it in a week later. So Nice. <laughs> nice. That's awesome. So um, what has been like one of your hardest scenes to write? Um, I think the absolute hardest scene for me to write out of everything I've written. Um, oof. So there's a character, I wrote a novella um, called Immemorium. And it's about a guy who finds out he's dying. Literally on page one, he finds out he's dying. Um, and it's a time travel story where he, because of where the, the tumors are growing on his brain, um, he sort of slips back and forth in time to certain memories um, and decides while he's reliving them, he realizes he can make different choices. Um, and then when he comes back, the world has sort of changed around him. Um, and so as the story progresses, he starts losing track of whether or not that really happened or not. And he's struggling with like, okay, am I just remembering things wrong because there's you know tumors growing in my head or am I actually changing what's happening? Um, and it is a romance, so it has a happy ending. Um, but I found, I, I based him very much on myself as I was writing. And that was maybe a bit of a mistake. Um, there were a couple of scenes I wrote in there where I had to stop and really sort of take a breath and be like, okay, so yes, this is 100% how I would react to this situation. Maybe that was a poor choice to, <laughs> to yeah. base this guy more on me than I, than I intended to. Um, and it's funny, um, people who know me well, when they read that one, will often say to me like, wow, got a little personal there, didn't you? Um, and really, <laughs> yeah, I, uh, like people who know me well, like I, um, I tend to put on, like, I'm, I laugh my way through problems. Okay. Uh, like, you know, my reaction is to crack a joke. Okay. Uh, and that's very much his character and his, and in many ways, his character flaw. Um, it causes actually all sorts of trouble in his life that he didn't know he'd caused. Um, and, so the uh, people who've known me for for many years kind of say, "Huh, so are you going to learn your own lesson there?" You know. <laughs> wow. Wow. Uh, I imagine that would be difficult to kind of write yourself into a character. Um, yeah. And, yeah, I didn't uh, intend to. It was just as the story was unfolding, I I just sort of did um I I'd, I'd left him as a little bit of a blank slate as I was plotting it out and it just sort of happened I uh, I don't normally write that way my characters are not generally self-insert but uh he turned into much of one oh, that's tough so um do your friends read your books then um I think a lot of them have read some of my books um I mean I write queer spec fic and queer romance so 
not necessarily are a lot of my friends into spectacular romance. Mm-hmm. So I, th- I think the ones who do like it, um, by far and away, the one the one thing I wrote that the most people have read um, is uh, among my friend group anyway, um, is my exit plans for teenage freaks, which was my YA novel. Um, cause a lot of my friends have kids. Um, and a lot of those kids are hitting YA age now. Um, so it's kind of cool that, you know, uncle, so uncle Nathan there wrote this book. Did you want to read it? Um, and of course they're, they're all, wow, so they're fairly con- conscientious parents. So they read it first. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's a good thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Wow, that's great. So um, does your spouse read your books? Um, the vast majority of them, he's read them. Yep, he fell behind. Um, and when uh, we both noticed, actually, when the pandemic hit, we're both struggling to read a lot yeah. um, right now. So um, I think he's I think he's a few books behind, but um, that's fine. I, uh, again, he's he actually tends to like things a bit more science fiction-y than I write. Okay. Um, does, so, does he read before or after it's published? After. Okay. Uh, yeah, so, yeah. so do you have like friends or family who will read it before and give you feedback? Yeah, I have, I have a core group of about four, four beta readers who oh, are cool. amazing. Um, they're authors as well. So we basically trade with each other. Um, and um, then what I try to do, well, I shouldn't just say try, I succeed. I, I've, every time I've written a character, um, even if it's a secondary character, well, especially if it's a secondary, I don't really write out of my own wheelhouse for the main point of view characters. But um, like, for example, for Exit Plans for Teenage Freaks, um, the main character's father is deaf um, and runs a joint translation and um, uh, interpretation business. So I reached out to my deaf friends and my interpreter friends both and asked them to take a peek, for example. So I, I, I certainly do beta reading and I certainly do sensitivity readers as well mm-hmm. um, before the final draft goes into the publisher. Yeah. Oh, that's great. So um, one of your favorite works of mine is uh, Faux Ho Ho. <laughs> I love that one. <laughs> that was fun. <laughs> So t- can you tell tell our listeners about that story? Sure. Um, so that one came. So both Handmade Holidays and Fohoho came from the same seed, which was I was um, really tired of a particular kind of storyline that plays out in holiday romances um, and specifically queer holiday romances, okay. which is the giant family reconciliation scene. Oh yeah. Um, so I I was kicked out. Um, my family did not react well when I came out, um, and that's it. Um, like we, we've never had a reconciliation and that is part of my happy ending is that I found other people who care about me. Um, and that story doesn't get told as often. It's as if there's that, that pressure of always like family's important. You only have one mom, you only have one dad. Like those, those lines get used so often in the holiday romances with, with queer characters, especially, um, so I basically wrote Handmade Holidays as a giant sticking up the finger to the whole <laughs> reconciliation scene. His parents kick him out in chapter one and that's it. They're not in the book ever again. Okay. Um, and, and in fact, they're not even in the book. You're, it's already happened at the start of the book. Um, now with Fo Ho Ho, I went about halfway there. So uh, the, the idea behind that, I wanted to write a fake relationship story and I love those. I love fomance fo- stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I decided to make it particularly Canadian um, by having the main character be from very conservative Alberta, from very conservative Alberta family stock, 
Um, he has a sister that he adores, but the rest of his family is basically awful. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're, they're like capital C conservatives. Um, they've got a political dynasty going on. The father was uh, an MP. The, the, the eldest son is now an MP. But because he wants access to his sister, the main character, um, Silas, kind of sort of exists in this weird little detente uh, that a lot of my queer friends exist in and who kind of suffer through holidays with the notion of they're just trying to get through it. Mm-hmm. And then they're going to go back to their real lives with their real friends and their real family, which are their friends. Um, so I wanted to write that kind of character. Um, and then about three quarters of the way through writing it, I realized I also wanted him to stand up for himself. Yeah. Uh, so the infamous kick scene happened. Yeah. <laughs> um, boy, people were really upset about that. Uh, really? <laughs> I loved writing it. Uh, but uh, yeah, so I, I wrote, basically the kind of fake romance story I wanted to read, which is the, the when that, when it all comes to blows, yes, they choose to end up together, but he also walks away from the horrible people in his family, understanding that, you know, his sister loves him and she's not going to cut him off. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that she's still going to be a part of his life and he's going to be part of her life, but the rest of them could go blow chunks. Yeah. Um, I think that's one of the things that I really liked about it was it, it seemed more real than a lot of, um, I'll say, like the the Hallmark, you know, Christmas romance movies, you know. Yeah, and and I I have to admit, I as someone who's lived through that less than stellar family moment, I really, I I know that's a sore point with me, but I really want to see the stories where the happy ending is getting away from people like that. Yeah, uh, and, and that is the happy ending. Um, there's this weird notion that reconciling with people like that is part of the happy ending. And I, and I can't help but see it as cozying up to a previous abuser. Like, like yeah, right. it's like what they are doing is abusive. Yeah. And so why are we forcing the kid back to them? Yeah. Um, even if the kid is now an adult, like, yeah. it just, it seems wrong to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, that's not the kind of story I'm ever likely to tell. Yeah. And there's more than one happy ending, you know, it, yes, it yes, doesn't exactly. have to go a certain way um, for it to be a, a happy ending for all. Um, no, that was great. I, I really enjoyed that. Um, so, um, what, what is your favorite aspect of being a writer? Um, I joke about writing, my writing being, um, time travel, but it, it's honestly the best answer I've got. Um, I write the stories I wish I had bumped into. Oh, okay. um, so for me, it's, it's kind of all about, sending these stories back in time for young, younger me to have found. And I, I'm also fully cognizant that like these stories existed. Um, like I'm thinking back, like there's, what was it? 1969 was the first gay YA written by a gay man. Um, uh, I get there. I hope it'll be worth the trip or whatever that title was. I can never remember the title. Um, but of course they were gate kept out of our hands, right? Like they weren't in the library. We couldn't find them. Yeah. Um, so these stories did exist, mm-hmm. but in my head, I, I just want to have more and more and more of them out there so that, you know, young queerling, whoever this, whoever the new young queerling might be, might bump into the story that they need at the right time. Yeah. Um, so that, that's, that's all it is for me. And that, that is my favorite part of, of writing is kind of imagining that other young version of me except he's surrounded by all these awesome queer books yeah. um, amazing that would have been oh nice really nice yeah you know i was in uh not too not too long ago i was in this one antique store and they had um all these old like dimes i'll say dime store romance novels with lesbians 
And oh, the pulp lesbian novels. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I like never knew they existed. Yeah. Yeah. And and they were in great shape. They were really cool. It's really fun to see. So, um, so how how do you select the names of your characters? Like you just mentioned Silas, right? In in Fo Ho Ho. Yep. Um, Silas was a hat tip to a trans friend. Um, uh, most of my characters, the vast majority of my characters are um, tuckerizations or Easter eggs. Um, because I got to be honest, it is one of the things I hate the most is trying to name a character. <laughs> really? <laughs> really. I, in fact, I have written entire, like my, my first novel, the entire first draft, the hero's name was Hero. Um, I, I, I would put it what I, I use square brackets. So uh -huh. I use a square bracket, H E R O square bracket. And it wasn't until the book was finished that I finally decided on his name. Um, and then I did a find replace. Um, so, <laughs> and that's not unusual. I do that almost every time. There's at least a few characters who don't have names until I'm done. Are there, are there some authors out there who are like, I can't do it if I don't know the character's name. I'm like, well, if I waited for the character's name or the book's title or the story's title, I would never write. So, uh, yeah, I, I think, um, like, so I'm trying to think in Fo Ho Ho, um, let me think. So Silas is named for my friend. Um, uh, there's a, um, Oh, shoot. Uh, the Fiona, the owner of the gym, she's named for Fiona Riley, the lesbian, uh, sorry, the uh, uh, bisexual author. Mm -hmm. um, oh, can I do this out of my head? Uh, no, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> They're all gone, of course. Uh, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, mo most of them are named for people. Um, oh, Kiara, um, the mother of uh, um, uh uh, Dino is named for a coworker. Um, in fact, there was one story I wrote uh, um, for an anthology called um, This Is How You Die. My one and only brush with mainstream fiction um, was a, an anthology put out um, uh, of the Machine of Death series. And every character in that story is named for someone I was working with at the time because I misread the call for submission deadline. And, and when I checked to see how they wanted it formatted, um, the deadline was that night at midnight. <laughs> so everybody just got named for people I was working with. <laughs> oh wow, that's amazing! You made the deadline. <laughs> yes, yeah, with about an hour to spare. Oh. Wow. So, um, what is one thing that you would give up to become a better writer? Yeah. You. Oh gosh. Um, it's a tough one. It is. I, I, yeah, that's such a hard question. Um, you know what? I, I feel like this is cheating, but I'm going to say chocolate <laughs> and okay. it's cheating because I shouldn't eat it because it gives me headaches, but I do. <laughs> uh -huh. All right. All right. So it's, it's one that of those good things. For me. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's bad for you. It's good for you. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, if I have to give up something, um, I would say caffeine. Um, really? Yeah, that would hurt, but um, I, I could adjust. I think I could adjust. Well, I did that one time. I never adjusted. <laughs> <laughs> I went, totally went right back to it. That, that's hard. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, so, Nathan, what does literary success look like to you? What would it um, what would I it be like? Do I, you do you see yourself as you know someone who's made it 
uh, in the literary world? Oof. Um, wow, that is such a moving target. Um, I think I, I wrote a joking post. Well, not a, not so joking post a few years ago um, called Eating My Words. Um, and I laid out how long my husband and I would be able to eat if we could only use my writing income uh, to pay for food. Um, and this was, this was a couple of, this was years ago and like multiple books ago. Um, and at the time it was about two and a half months, I think of the year from my yearly income. So we, we couldn't get very far. Um, I think it'll sound silly, but that's actually one of my goals. I would like to feed us. Um, and to me, if I hit that tipping point and, and I'm getting there, um, I was really lucky, um, uh, exit plans for teenage freaks, got a really positive um, review in the ALA. Um, and so it got snapped up for libraries and it uh, earned out. Um, and it earned me out for my previous books as well. Uh, Light had earned out because of the Lammies, uh, the Lammy nod. Um, and my next two books were, were getting there. They were taking time. Um, and then I released that short story collection. And let me tell you, that's uh, that's literary death right there, having a short story collection. <laughs> really? You know what? The sad part is it is my favorite thing I have ever written. Um, I, it's 12 interconnected short stories and well, and one novella. Um, and it's my village sort of introduction. And every story references at least one of the other stories. There's a greater story being told through all the pieces. People who have read it have all loved it. It has yet to get anything like a negative review. But wow, nobody read it. Um, so that book, that book threw me so far into the hole um, that I was like, oh dear. Um, And then Exit Plans came out and and dug me out of the hole. So um, between that and the public lending right, um, I'm getting really close to that that goal of of feeding us. Um, And I think after that, I'll pick a new goal. But I think... I think I have a very grounded in reality view of what success can look like as an author of a very small subset of a subset already. Like I'm already, I mean, I'm a queer author to begin with, which makes a small readership. Yeah. And then I write queer specific and queer romance. So I'm already like in a small pond to begin with. Um, so I, I know what that's going to look like. And I worked in the bookstore and the book industry long enough to know that the James Pattersons are rare. Um, the vast majority of people who write in Canada earn something like eleven to $12,000 a year. Like yeah. it's not a lot of money. Um, and if, if that's why you're doing it, I don't know how to see success. Right. Um, yeah. So for me, no, I, I think I will be content to feed us um, so that, you know, when we retire having income, that would be lovely. That's <laughs> that is a great goal. I like that. Um, and I like that you named it um, "Eating My Words." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's really clever. Big fan of <laughs> yeah, yeah, cute. Great, great. Well, I wish you success with that. I mean, you're definitely, definitely, almost there. Um, yeah, and and it's funny. The long tail is true, especially in genre. Um, like that's, I, I knew that already, but every release makes it drives it home again that like you know when you release a new book if you are a romance author or if you're a spec fic author you see the previous books sell again um every time uh, as as a new author finds you and they go backwards and so knowing that every new book you're like okay i'm building i'm building a wall i'm I'm like i'm building a tower i'm building something and every brick makes the other bricks return i don't know yeah 
Yeah, and and you're right. People do if if someone picks up a you know a new release of yours and they like ah oh, I like this guy they'll, you know they'll definitely go back and and check out the rest of your works. Um, yeah. So have you always published with Bold Strokes? Um, I was really really lucky because of the short story um, entrance into fiction writing. I basically got to be edited by dozens. Well, I say dozens, maybe about half a dozen people. And worked with, I want to say, four or five different publishers before I had a novel. Um, so I already knew who I wanted to work with <laughs> because yeah. I'd already had these experiences, which is another reason I, I do tell aspiring authors, like, if you are at all interested in writing short fiction, it is a fantastic way to learn about writing without that massive lead in of writing an entire book first. Um, like you can get a lot of experience in short fiction. Um, and because of that, I, I, I knew I wanted to work with Bolstrucks um, because I'd seen their process multiple times compared to some of the other publishers I'd worked with. Now, I didn't really have any bad experiences, but it was clear, um, frankly, Bolstrucks is super organized yeah. uh, was, was the big thing. And like nothing had ever been late. Um, I always knew exactly what date everything was going to happen on. And it always happened on that date. Um, so when, it, when I was ready to actually place an entire novel into somebody's hands. Yeah. It was an easy choice for me. That's because you're dealing with a surgeon. Everything. Yeah. Right. right? (laughs) (laughs) So, wow. That's awesome. That's really great. Good for you. Thank you. Yeah. So, um, I am looking forward to next month when, uh, a little village blend comes out. Right. Oh my, I'm really, I'm really hoping that people who liked the holiday romances, are going to enjoy this one as well because it, it is set in the same world. It's just that little dash of magic, and I'm hoping the magic doesn't turn anybody away, but we'll see. Uh, I doubt it. I doubt <laughs> it. It sounds fun. It sounds like a lot of fun. So, um, well, Nathan, do you have any parting words for our listeners? Oh, dear. Um You know what? Maybe just the thing I just said about short fiction. Um, so I know so many readers are also writers at heart or wish, would like to even try um, and, you know, if you go hunting for some calls for submissions and maybe maybe if an idea sparks and you're at all willing to give short fiction a shot, I think it is a fantastic way to get your toes wet. Okay, great. Great advice, really. Um, so and, and just uh, so our listeners know what constitutes short fiction. Uh, that will depend by call. Um, but for the most part, you're talking like less than 5,000 words, usually 3,000 ish. Oh, that 3, is short. 000. Okay. Yeah, no, short stories are exactly that. They're very short. Um, and then there's flash fiction, which is a thousand words or less, which is a specific challenge. Um, and I would say that's actually in many cases harder, um, than, than writing longer pieces. But yeah, um, especially in erotica, um, they can be quite short. Um, and if, again, it's, it's a great way, like I said, to just sort of see what the experience is like. And it's a lot of fun when you get those, the copies of the books and you're like, I am in this. Um, yeah, my shelf is mostly full of short story collections. (laughs) That's awesome. Good for you, Nathan. That is wonderful. So, well, that is all the time we have for today. Um, and I really appreciate you being with us, Nathan. It's been my pleasure to chat with you um, and uh, learn about your writing process and your writing history. Um, and, uh, you know, I, uh, I look forward to uh, the next one coming out next month. Thank you so much for having me. It was a blast. Yeah, yeah. So that's all the time we have for today. 
and I'm Anita Kelly. Thanks for joining. Let's talk about books, baby. And until next time, may your journey be lighthearted, peace be plenty, and stay safe, folks. <laughs>